Space and popular culture goes back a long time. Long before movies or games, authors sent people into space. The ancient Greeks sent Icarus so close to the sun that his wax-glued wings fell off. But uh, technically he wasn't up in space, was he? No, rather just very high up in the air and affected by gravity. That made sure he ended up dead, smashed to the ground. The notorious liar Baron Münchhausen went to the moon in the 1700s, and in 1835 Edgar Allan Poe released his The Unparalleled Adventure of One Hans Pfahl, where Mr. Pfahl went to the moon in a balloon. The French author Jules Verne loved technical novelties and wrote about space travel in 1865 in his From the Earth to the Moon, about a bunch of enthusiasts who planned to send people to the moon in a projectile using a gigantic cannon called the Columbiad. Verne's story would later spawn a sequel, an opera, and of course that famous Georges Méliès film where the spaceship hits the man in the moon in his eye. In a review of the book from 1880, the Paul Mall Gazette described that projectile as a spaceship. And this was actually the first time in history that this term was used. Since then there has been oh so many spaceships in literature, movies, TV and on stage. We have the more highbrow variety, like the spaceship Aniara from the Swedish opera Aniara from 1959, based on the poem Aniara, about a doomed spaceship filled with refugees from a poisoned dying earth. Deep stuff. And we have a bunch of spaceships in light entertainment, of course, like Han Solo's trusted Millennium Falcon from the Star Wars films. Possibly one of the most famous spaceships of all times. And obviously USS Enterprise from Star Trek. Also possibly one of the most famous spaceships of all time. And let's not forget about Nostromo. That sinister, dark, huge cargo ship where Sigourney Weaver fights for her life in Ridley Scott's classic Alien. But have you heard of a spaceship called Bebop? It's the ship used by three uber-cool bounty hunters called Spike Spiegel, Yet Black and Faye Valentine in the classic anime series Cowboy Bebop, adopted as a live-action series on Netflix last year. Goodbye Kansas Studios delivered VFX for that series. So today the yellow brick road leads to Cowboy Bebop. and welcome to Yellow Brick Road, a podcast about movies, games and visual effects. I'm Nils Lagergren and yes, today we're going to talk anime and cowboy bebop and I'm happy to welcome a devoted anime fan and colleague who worked on the VFX production for the Netflix series Cowboy Bebop, lighting lead Ivor Da Silva. Welcome. Thank you. So nice to have you here. And and it, since it's your first visit at Yellow Brick Road, let's start with some background. How did you get into the VFX business? Was it a childhood dream? Actually, no. I <laughs> <laughs> 
no. So I did always want to do something with with visuals, and when I left school, I was convinced I wanted to be a graphic designer. I was gonna study and make magazines and stuff and make logos. So I went to art school to do that. After two months, I figured out I hated it. <laughs> I did not like it at all. But we did have this little class, like intro to After Effects as well, where they were doing some motion graphics and they showed us a site called Video Copilot, where the host of that site shows you how to make visual effects mm. with with After Effects. So that basically steered me on the path of forget this graphic design stuff. I'm going to do visual effects starting out with After Effects, more the comp side of things. Mm. And then in my later years of art school, I got way more interested in the 3D side, in the lighting side. And that's basically when the idea came of I can work in this and not just working this but in the beginning the plan was always to like do commercials or do like magazines and logos and stuff and I was like but now I can maybe do all the cool stuff you see on TV all the stuff I like to watch Yeah. so that's how I ended up transitioning into visual effects during my arts, art school days and when I left art art school, I had the opportunity to start at a small studio doing commercials. And then you ended up at Goodbye Kansas. Yeah, so that's that's a funny story actually. The the studio where I worked at previously, we 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 were doing a lot of commercials with with miniatures so we would build miniature sets and have three 3d characters in there and that was something that the chaos group found in interesting so they invited us to speak at at the fmx a couple uh-huh. years ago and initially my cg sup- supervisor was supposed to go but his kid got sick so he couldn't go so he asked me to fill in for him so i went to FMX and the talk before I gave the talk was done by Daniel Biestet, ah. also from Goodbye Kansas, talking about the the work for the for the cinematics for the Walking Dead game, ah. and they showed some stuff and I was like I I recognize this work I think it's really cool but I'd always assumed Goodbye Kansas there in America yeah it's a and common it, mistake yeah <laughs> and then it was like yeah so we're a studio in Stockholm Sweden so that for me was like maybe I should just send my work because they're so close and just see what happens so I sent in my showreel and didn't hear anything for a couple months and then it was suddenly like hey we saw your showreel we we saw we saw that you were interested in a permanent con- contract we don't have that at the moment but could you do a freelance position for a couple months starting i think it was like two months after that hmm. so i decided to just take take the risk quit the job i had come 
come here for initially it was supposed to be like four months yeah to do uh to work on a netflix show and after that i got a permanent con contract and i've been here for two years now <laughs> that, that's an amazing story it's like a sliding doors thing yeah coincidences what country were you working in before in the netherlands in netherlands we're going to talk cowboy bebop today uh so when and i understand that you have a keen interest in anime well when, yes. when did that interest come Ooh, now we go way, way back. <laughs> so I just said that I worked in the Netherlands before, but before that I spent part of my youth growing up in uh, Brazil. And in the years that, that we spent there, there was a routine that we had every day. Like you go, you go to school, we would come back, get off the bus and walk home. And on the way home, we would stop at grandpa and grandma's. Hmm. And one of my nephews lived lived there as well. He was like the like the older kid, the cool kid. He had like a, I think like an old Sega in his room, and we would go there and we would watch we would watch some cartoons with him. Which to me it was just like this is what cartoons are. And later when I came to the Netherlands. I learned that no, those weren't cartoons. Those were anime. So I was uh-huh. watching like old, old Dragon Ball re uh, runs and Sailor Moon and other like really '90s anime. And yeah, that's that's where my interest start started. And it like those shows also bring back those good memories of mm. of the time spent there at at my grandma's and i think that interest grew more during during my time time in art school i had a class classmate a really good friend friend of mine who's a concept artist in the industry now and he was a com- anime fan like his entire house was filled with manga and action figures and he would draw all the time and be watching anime on like a second screen we'd be like in that class he'd 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 be drawing while the teacher was teaching and then on his ipad he was like watching an anime series not paying attention (laughs) at all but he he like showed me a bunch of other series because I was mainly used to more like the like the cartoon series as we as most people know them like it's it's a little bit for kids or it's like action but not really mm-hmm. heavily story driven and he introduced me to more like story driven films and and series that happen to be animated and from Japan so they're anime but they're not meant for for like kids they're not no. meant to be like 20 minutes every week just to have something to watch so yeah i think the like the thing that drew me to them is they're very cinematic so there's a lot of not just lighting work but camera work and cinematography mm-hmm. that goes into the way that they tell stories and that's really exciting yeah what was cowboy bebop uh one of those that you watched yes it's one of the series that he that he introduced to me 
I think, of course, like the like the series or the films that that from my point 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 of view, like you start with, are like films like like Akira. That's one. That's probably one that a lot of listeners know. And Ghost in the Shell. I think in that same like more like more mature type series comes Cowboy Bebop. And I think the nice thing that they do is it's you still have the humor and all the jokes and the goofiness, but there are also really serious mm. topics and characters that deal with like existential problems and, and it's yeah, yeah, and it's and it can go from like being airy to super per per depressing in like one or two scenes and like having that depth of emotion in the scene and in the show works really well it makes the characters really relatable yeah and i think me as a young kid the whole idea of like a bounty hunter and a cowboy is also very uh very inspiring very like something that that you look up to yeah. But maybe before we go like too deep into that, we should explain <laughs> what Cowboy Bebop is about. Yes, please do, please do. <laughs> yeah, so for the listeners who don't know, Cowboy Bebop is set in a dystopian future. So we're basically following a band of space cowboys bounty hunting their way through the through the galaxy. And it's it's there's a main cast of three characters who are later on in the series of fourth character and a dog joins, but we follow them basically from from episode to episode as they hunt different bounties and they're mm. on like the on like the edge of the law, like it's not always legal, but they're but they're free and they're doing their thing. And I think it's a series that has that has inspired a lot of Western movies as well. Because I yeah. think just explaining what this what the series is about, there's probably some listeners that are like, is he talking about Firefly or is he talking about Cowboy <laughs> Bebop? And there's just a lot of similarities between the series. And I think Cowboy Bebop has had a big influence influence on how we also see sci-fi because i think at the time it was mostly like star trek everything is clean and pretty yeah, and yeah kind of uh, like mixing different genres uh, yeah but but there is a western element into it for yeah. sure yes yeah, so there's the western element but you also have like the jazz and the blues in yeah. influence that's really strong in the soundtrack and also in the movement of characters. When I first heard of it back in the days, uh, it was the thing that it was so cool that, that they was <laughs> they were so super cool these characters. Yeah, I mean the the main character like Spike Spiegel, he's just one of at least for me he's like one of the coolest dudes ever. He's like yeah. he's not just a super badass, but he also like sort of doesn't care about things and he mm. just lives by his own rules. But he still has a sense of morality. 
But then if you go further into the series, you see that he's also battling his own demons. Like he's not a perfect human being. He's not like that superhero that knows it all and can't do anything bad. So I think that makes them very human and very likable. Yeah, and much more interesting. Yeah. Once was a tiger-striped cat. This cat died a million deaths, revived and lived a million lives. The cat wasn't afraid to die. Then one day, the cat became a stray cat, which meant he was free. So, so it started as a series, but there, there was also a feature film, wasn't it? Yeah, so there's a movie that, to be honest, I don't know exactly where it fits into the timeline. It's, it just feels like it's uh, like it's somewhere in the beginning of the series. Hmm. Or it's a completely separate like timeline. It could also be. I'm not really sure. But for me, it's 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 like the movie is it's nice. It's a cool thing. But it's more like the way that the series built up. Like every episode, they they uh, call it they call it a session. Yeah. So this is basically like a longer session, but the nice thing about the series that even over the different sessions there's like overarching story that they're yeah, building exactly. and this is sort of out outside of that so it's really cool to watch and i would encourage all the listeners to go watch it but do watch the main series because i think that's like the where the main the main value is and then a couple of years ago uh, netflix decided to do a live action version of it uh, it's adapted by Andre Nemec, written by Christopher Eust and produced by Tomorrow Studios, Midnight Radio and Sunrise Incorporated for Netflix. Uh, and when that series was made, Goodbye Kansas was one of the VFX vendors. How did you get in contact with the project? And, and what were your feelings when you heard about it? Uh, so when I heard about it, I was initially pretty scared. Because <laughs> it's, it's a series that... Like it's, it has such an, it had has had such an impact on me, and I think it's such a great series. And knowing as well, like how big the fan base is, yeah. like you're trying to adapt one of the most acclaimed series ever from anime to live action. So that's of that's all always scary, but at the same time also exciting. It's like. It's one of those series that I saw when I was younger. Like I, like I didn't grow up on it. I wasn't a kid, but I saw it like in my teens. And it's like it, it's 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 exciting as well yeah. that those things are coming back and you're able to work on it. I think it's similar to the excitement that some people feel like with the new Star Wars films that they're in the industry now and they're able to work on the films that they loved when they were kids. Yeah, exactly. I think it's this uh, sort of similar feeling like I get to work in this universe. I get to work yeah. with these characters. So I really wanted to work on it. And luckily for me, the visual effects supervisor on the show, Ewell, likes working with me. So that was pretty easy deal. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of VFX did Goodbye Kansas deliver? What were the sequences? Uh, so we had our 
our main sequences were in the last episode. In the episodes before that, we had a couple small sequences as we had, uh, I think we were responsible for for a lot of the shots with uh, with the red tail, so one of the space spaceships in in the show, the spaceship of Faye Valentine. We had a sequence where she received the ship for the first time in in the beginning of of the series, like midway through the season. Then after that, we had some some small shots here here and there, like nothing major. But then in episode ten was our the big chunk of our work where where some of the main characters spike and uh, jet they're trying to save jet's daughter she's been kept kidnapped by the by the bad guys by the syndicate and the first part of that sequence they 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 go to an to an industrial area and try to basically double cross the bad guys but it mm. turns into a double cross of a double cross and they <laughs> end up getting captured so and that's in in that sequence it's mostly met uh, matte matte paintings and set extensions mm. and a lot of blood and muscle flashes a lot of comp work so the comp team spent a huge amount of time working on that sequence and then for the CG team it was mainly the sequence afterwards where they're all captured and they're and they're strung up in a church and Faye Valentine decides to come in and save the day. So she swoops in with a red tail. She completely destroys a church, <laughs> blowing the whole thing up. And then afterwards she lands and there's a, there's a conversation that happens between the characters which is all filmed on a green screen. So we have the entire set extension again and the, mm. and the ship is in there. So I think that's where most of our CG time went. And of course, that also requires a lot of comp work again. I think that's like the main sequence that that we did, uh, blowing up the church or destroying the church. Destruction is always nice in yeah. the VFX, isn't it? Yes. So the biggest sequence was this church sequence. Yeah. If you walk us through, how does it work? You receive the plates, and from then on, it's the supervisor telling we should do this and that. How are you involved in that process? For me, it was a bit new, the approach to this, because this was the first time for me working on such a big show where we're sharing a lot of things. So we were not the only ones that were responsible for the church. Uh-huh. We were responsible for all the shots out outside side of the church. And when we're inside the, side the church, it's a different vendor. And we're responsible for what we see outside the window. Mm. So there's a lot of collaboration that needs to happen between the... Between the different vendors, like yeah. who, like who does what, we we also didn't do the concept design ourselves. So the whole concept of what the church should look like, what the environment should look like, was already done. And it did, it does 
vocals for. Like it does make it a, li- get a little bit more difficult. Like you mm-hmm. can't just walk over to another department and be like, hey, can you update this? Can we see this? How is this window supposed to look? Mm-hmm. There's always like a delay in the communication because you always have to send an email to, to, to another vendor, set up a call, and they have to get their stuff done before we get our stuff. So there's a lot more communication happening. Yeah. So I think with with all that communication happening and with, uh, with the designs not really being in our hands, there's there's still a lot of concept work like visually that we do for how does how does the the look of the shot needs to be like how like is it night what does it look like but there's also a lot that you have to take into account like we can decide a beautiful background to put behind the church but there's already another vendor working on the city that's there so you so it's always sort of goes like back and forth like what can we design what can't we design did you work with like visual references or, or, or how you wanted the shots to look like the feeling of them uh, yeah so we had a concept artist on the board that took that that did a lot of his own renders and 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 paint overs and like 3D as a base to uh, design the look of shots together with uh, Ewell, the visual effects supervisor. Mm. And that were basically the references that we aimed for with with the shots that were like heavily on the CG. Of course, there's for us in, in light and in 3D, there's only like so much that we can push something because yeah. we have to match the concept but at the same time since we're dealing with a plate stuff has to fit into the plate as well yeah so even with everything being on a green screen we're a little bit tied of course to the light that was used when they shot the actors from 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 the green screen to get that all tied tied in so there were some some shots, of course, where we wanted to push stuff more than what was in the plate. So then we go to comp and we see like how much can we remove light in comp, how much can we move the lighting around and change stuff to make the best image that we yeah. think we can do. Do you have a favorite shot from what you deliver? Yes, I do. But it does <laughs> mean... There's one shot, and it no, it feels a bit weird to say it's my favorite shot because I worked on that shot. You're <laughs> <laughs> allowed to say. <laughs> yeah, but it also feels like you. Sh- I should sort of point out other people's work, but yeah, if I'm being honest, my my favorite shot is right after Faye arrives on the scene in a red tail. We have. Uh, exterior shot of the church a wide angle where, where we see the whole church we see the red tail swooping from screen left to screen right all the guns firing and 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 the church is being lit up by the muscle flashes mm. from from the ship and that's still the favorite shot 
like my favorite shot that we did on that whole sequence. But was that then full CG? Right, yeah. Church and everything? Yeah. So most of the shots in that sequence, we had either plates of the characters or some, or like some environment props, but this was all just full, just full CG. So we had a whole build for the church. We had some speed tree trees in the bottom. We had the ship with a little digi double. So if you zoom in close enough in the window of the spaceship, you can see a <laughs> digi double of uh, Faye. So how so how did it feel when you got to see the, the final product, the series, when it premiered? I was really excited. They, I think, uh, a couple of weeks before they uh, released a trailer, which was in like anime cowboy be- boy bebop style, like edited to like some yeah, jazz music cool. and and yeah. wipes and things, and oh, that that really got me excited. It was like, oh, this. <laughs> so I was the whole process th- through. You're still like scared. Like, are we gonna pull? pull this off are we gonna live up to the anime or not and that was a point where I was like wow this I think this can really be some something so I was excited when it came out watched it all in one go and I really like it I think we do have to be like realistic it's completely different from the from the anime it's in the same universe but I do think that with anime you can get away with a lot more with like switching the mood from we're being in a super depressed mood to being super goofy and Mm -hmm. just being as funky as you can which with live action of course you have to be a bit more contained like you can't be jumping around like crazy cartoon characters because it's live action so I think they really had to like choose a path like what like what are we gonna do are we gonna go sort of the goofy route or are we gonna go the super serious route and i think Mm. they went sort of like like in between it's like cool action funny beats there's a nice interaction between the characters the the only thing if i had to if I could choose to do things differently, I think what, like a big risk that they took is in a lot of the 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 episodes, I think fans of the series are going to look to compare the series mm. to the anime. And they did a good job of making different stories. So all the sessions in the live action series, the stories are a bit different, mm. but they do pick some things from the anime and add it into the story which I think is is very dangerous because then you get like the one-on-one comparison and people are going to get super critical so personally I really like it I like the hints but I can see that some of the hardcore fans are going to be like no this this isn't one-on-one the anime so I think it would have been safer to just say okay we take this universe we take this character we make new sessions yeah just like they just like the makers of the anime did with the film it's a session that's outside of the main story create a new story in this universe but that's like my 
my personal thing that I would have changed. But overall, I really think it's a nice series and I encourage all our listeners to go check it out. Yeah, definitely. So Cowboy Bebop is surely one of the coolest space IPs out there. But but what other space-related films and series do you like? Do you have any favorites? I kind of hinted at it in the beginning already, but <laughs> Firefly. <laughs> that's no surprise. That's definitely one that everyone should check out. What were you in the war? You were a sergeant, yeah? Now you got yourself a ship and you're a captain. Only I think you're still a sergeant, see? Man of honor in a den of thieves. It has more similarities with Cowboy Bebop as well. It's a series with just one season. After that season, there was a movie that came out. That's that's definitely one of my other favorite space space series. Mm -hmm. And of course, I love me a good alien movie. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I have actually have a a guilty pleasure. uh, A really odd and old one favorite uh, is a British series I think it was Space 1999 from the mid 70s that I watched when I was a kid with Martin Landau and Barbara Bain and I think it was the very first science fiction series that aired on Swedish television I, I was totally blown away uh, but but if I saw it today I would probably just be embarrassed um, I'm not so sure if it was so good but but it's interesting because when you see things when you're young, it gives a real impact. And I think that was, have you heard of it? Space 1999. It's like a base on the moon and then the moon accidentally gets pushed away from Earth. So this moon is just traveling through space with these doomed characters there that go through different uh, strange adventures. Staying here in Alpha with everybody, I'd already accepted that. But now there's going to be six or seven lives on that ship. Six. Well, I should be one of those six, Commander. Because if anyone can get them somewhere, I can. Last but not least, Cowboy Bebop started its life as an anime. Uh, Do you have any other animes uh, or favorites or comics that you think deserves to be adopted to a live-action series? There's one anime that I would really like to see an adaptional. It's one of my favorite favorite series. I don't think it's it's super well known, but it's called Planets, and it's also a space series. And it basically deals with humankind in the future. We've all moved into space colonies, but of course the problem is all the waste in space. So we basically follow a group of characters and their job description is their space garbage man. <laughs> so it sounds <laughs> super boring, like we're following no, a, it sounds amazing. a couple garbage men, but it's it's really a really nice series. It's one of the better written and animated series. So if anyone is interested in space and in garbage men, I would say check it out it's it's amazing and that would be such a great show i think to to adapt as well and i think it's also one of the shows that's better suited to
to be adapted. I think the more the series goes towards realism, the easier yeah. it is, or maybe the less big of a budget you need. Because I think the crazier you go, the <laughs> more you get into. We need to do this in full CG, almost everything. So let's hope for uh, a live-action version of Planets. Yes. Then. Many thanks for coming. It was a pleasure to have you here and Thank talk you. about Cowboy Bebop. And I think I'm, I need to run home and, and re-watch Cowboy Bebop. And you out there, thanks for listening. And feel free to reach out and mail us if you have questions or suggestions of things you would like to ask us or what you want us to talk about. You reach us at podcast at goodbyecancers.com. Until next time, goodbye, à bientôt, auf Wiederhören, wie hörsch. Thank you.